1: To episode one hundred and fifteen of Real Life Ghost Stories,
2: how you do?
1: To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Michael Vale,
2: Emily O'Shwee,
1: Laura Navarro,
2: Paula Jefferson,
1: Joni Bailey, Juliana, Rusty Berger, Kayevet, Betsy Simmons, Meredith Mulhall, Shannon McBride, Jenny and Tom, Abby Massey, Brad, Georgia England, Deborah. Ernestina Fields. Sorry, Rainy. Suzanne Armstrong. The JPO. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you. It's such a lovely community. I love you guys. You're great.
2: And I would like to echo everything Emma just said. <laughs>
1: we also have two birthdays today. We seem to have have had an influx of birthdays for January.
2: Happy, happy, happy birthday!
1: So we would like to say a massive happy birthday to Julie Hope. Happy birthday. And also to Nicholas.
2: Happy birthday.
1: Happy birthday, guys. We hope it has been amazing. I'm sorry if it's a couple of days either side. I always try and do the birthdays on the day that's closest. So like the episode that's closest. And we have another promo this week.
2: We're
1: smashing out the promos at the moment and I'm loving it. So this week's promo is for Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. Ooh. Each week, your host, Deadly Debbie, shares real life, strange but true stories from her creepy files, from the weird and wonderful to the unexplained and terrifying. So I, this is only a new podcast Hmm. and I don't know if Deadly Debbie wants me to address her by her real name. So I'm just going to keep calling her Deadly Deadly Debbie. (laughs) And it's, it's, I mean, I was talking to you about this in the car earlier, like, I always find people who do characters so impressive on podcasts yeah. because it's so difficult to keep it up. So Deadly Debbie plays like an Elvira type character and introduces you to different real life ghost stories and the stories are told in like a a, a normal way I guess okay, or like yeah. in in her true voice, but it's really clever. Like I was really impressed when I listened. That is cool. You know when you're a bit like, "Oh, this is this is really really <laughs> good." <laughs> So it's Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. Go and find it, subscribe to it, give it a listen, and obviously rate and review it if you can.
0: Well, hello there, little black kitties of the night. Come and join me, your host, Deadly Debbie, as we go through my creepy files and listen to real life, strange but true, stories from people all over the world explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with deadly debbie's creepy files
1: (laughs) which brings us to our film review this week
2: Do you know, I've completely forgotten that that's what we do at the start of an episode.
1: I know, we've only been doing it 115 times.
2: (laughs) I genuinely forgot.
1: Our film review this week is Sinister. Sinister was released in 2012. It has 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis?
2: Why, yes, please.
1: True crime writer Ellison Oswald is in a slump. He hasn't had a bestseller in more than 10 years and is becoming increasingly desperate for a hit. So when he discovers the existence of a snuff film showing the deaths of a family, he vows to solve the mystery. He moves his own family into the victim's home and gets to work. However, when old film footage and other clues hint at the presence of a supernatural force, Elliot learns that living in the house may be fatal. Before we begin with our <laughs> review, this is one of your favourite horror films, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it does a good job. I don't know if I have a favourite horror film because... I don't like being scared.
1: Fair, <laughs> but one of the best horror films. Yeah, I, guess. I
2: think it's it's definitely better. It's one of, definitely one of the better modern ones for sure.
1: And it is also the horror film that you've been turning into, adapting into a musical yeah. for about four years.
2: Yeah, slowly, slowly but surely, it's coming along. <laughs> I've got zero songs and zero scripts, but the idea is there. So, it's
1: the idea is there? It just needs to come to fruition. <laughs> so, what were your thoughts on this film?
2: Well, I'd like to start by saying that um, the reason we haven't reviewed this before is because emma has repeatedly told me that she's never seen this but she's actually watched it twice with me and that's why it's taken so long because i felt like i didn't really need to review it because we'd seen it a couple times but as emma didn't remember it so we sat down to watch it and how long did it take you to realize until you realized you you'd seen it
1: oh i don't know I don't remember when I realised I'd seen it. I was like, oh, this film. of oh, this one. The one with the guy from Slipknot in it. Yeah, I got it. Gotcha.
2: Which kind of leads me on to where I'm going with it, I think, is that I do enjoy it. I think it's very good at what it does. I think Ethan Hawke is brilliant in it. Yes. I just don't think it's actually that memorable.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Well,
2: because I read some of the comments, and forgive me, you know who you are, because you're the only one that I replied to, but someone replied to the post when you say, this is what we're watching. And said, oh, I have seen this, but I don't really remember it. Mm. And I kind of made an, a joke about you not remembering it either. Yeah. I mean, this is my third time watching it, <laughs> allegedly. But there is something about, there is something, there's clearly something about it that is very forgettable. Because I can't believe that you don't remember watching <laughs> it. I,
1: As I told you during the film, this film was, I mean, they do all these sort of pseudo-scientific studies for... Uh, like TV uh, streaming services and stuff. So there was a scientific study that was done that voted Sinister as biologically the most terrifying film. So they showed participants a number of films, of horror films, and had them hooked up to, to keep track of their heart rate and their, their, you know, rate of sweating and, and whatever. And apparently Sinister was the scariest. And what I will say about Sinister is that it holds tension very well throughout yeah. the film.
2: It lives up to its name for sure. Like I you get a sinister vibe from it from watching it. I think it's I don't want to say wholly down to, but it's it's a good chunk of that is down to the score by Christopher Young. I think he does a really good job.
1: The score is incredible and when Ellison finds the tapes of these families that have been brutally murdered. The music that underscores the, these tapes is like it does make you lose your breath. Like it makes you feel really anxious. And it's that kind of. It's like you said during the film. You were like, I wondered that Ariaster, like who who did Hereditary and Midsummer, did he take some sort of inspiration from this? Because it's that same, chanty, mm. insidious music that makes just just makes you feel like your heart rate is rising. And it's very cleverly done.
2: And it had to be clever, I guess, because Super 8 doesn't have sound as far as I'm aware. So that, that kind of home movie wouldn't have had, traditionally had a soundtrack because those kind of cameras didn't have mics built into them. So you would have, oh, if fair. the guy, even Hawke's character, Ellison, would have just been watching that in silence. So it needed something. And I think the abstract soundtrack worked really well. I don't actually know if Christopher Young has worked with Ari Aster on those films. So he may well be the same, it may be the same score writer.
1: Maybe, yeah. yeah. It, I mean... It's a good film. Is it the scariest horror film ever made? I don't think so. But what is? I don't know. I just <laughs> there's all there There's a massive problem with this film in that Ellison is such an unlikable character, and yeah. I understand. Like Ethan Hawke acts the part incredibly well. He really does. So I'm not taken away from Ethan Hawke, and I'm not taken away from the fact that he acts it very well. But I hated the character so much. Yeah, and I think I hated him. I thought he was disingenuous it i know i know you're meant to dislike him but i really i kind of felt like within the first five minutes of moving into that house you'd be taking your family and you'd be going you know you wouldn't have stayed there under no circumstances would you stay there no matter how greedy you are no matter how much money you want no matter how much you want to profit off the death of all these families why would you stay there just the whole way through and the way he treats his wife she regularly raises concern and he browbeats her and being like you're not supportive enough of me when she's clearly incredibly supportive of him of his whims I just I couldn't get on board with this character and I really didn't care if anything was going to happen to him because I thought you know it's good enough for you mm. you prick
2: yeah <laughs> I did say as we were watching it, I think uh, Mr. Carter won't be too happy with another horror movie with a bad horror dad.
1: Oh, well, that's what it is, isn't it? It's that trope of bad horror dads, yeah. like bad horror dads making poor decisions, making decisions that benefit them solely. And they kind of dress it up as being beneficial for the family. But really, is it really is it? if your family are at risk of being brutally murdered, is it really beneficial to them? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Sorry. This just, I, I just really disliked his character. And I really, controversially, disliked The Supernatural Entity.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a strong design choice.
1: No, the glimpses, like like with most films, the glimpses, brilliant. The little glimpses that you get in videos, in pictures, very good, very clever. But when you realise it's the seventh percussionist of Slipknot, as somebody commented on Instagram... You kind of go, oh, you're you're actually not that scary anymore. Yeah. You're in an ill-fitting suit. I really feel like if you know if you're some sort of pagan god, at least you can get a good suit made, babe. I a good think, tailored suit.
2: <laughs> I just I just don't find Slipknot masks very scary. Like they're good for that schlocky sort of like character stuff, but they're not scary. Like it wouldn't, it didn't, it didn't feel scary. The more we saw of him, the less impact it had. But the glances are definitely like in the reflections under yeah. the water where it was distorted in the distance when they caught when he caught a glimpse in the garden very clever
1: that, and know. very scary mm. i was i was here for that and i was here for the the background story of the entity because it was different mm. it was it was very unusual it wasn't just like this is a demon sent from hell there was a kind of a bit of meat and bones to the story which i thought hey that's cool so i I, I what what do you give this out of five
2: i'm giving it a four and a half I think it's probably overall, it's probably a four movie, but I need to give an extra half for the score and for Officer So-and-So, who I very much liked as a character.
1: Good character. Yeah, Uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give it a four. I just found Ellison's character so unlikable, but I think as a modern horror film, it was like in 2012 when it came out. I can imagine it was new, refreshing, something very different and it's clever like it's a clever concept and yeah. it, it's kind of it brings in the whole like the world has a fascination with true crime so it brings in the true crime element and, and true crime writers and people profiting off true crime like it's interesting in that regard so i'm going to give it a four solid four
0: selling a little or a lot Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Which brings us to our story this week.
2: Oh, I'm struggling to guess what it is based on that film choice.
1: There's a very tenuous link. Okay. Last week we talked about the most haunted house in the UK.
2: So this week we're doing the least haunted house.
1: This week... We looked at the most terrifying film ever made. Yeah. And we're going to be looking at the most haunted building in the USA. Oh. And I'm very excited about this episode. This is a highly requested topic. Okay. I'm here for it. And if you've ever watched an American ghost hunting TV show, any of them, you will be familiar with this location. Okay. Because today we're going to be talking about Waverly Hills. Okay. Okay. Last week we explored what is allegedly the most haunted building in the UK, the Borley Rectory. And the building we're exploring today has an even more sinister reputation as the most haunted building in the world. Waverly Hill Sanatorium was built in 1910 in response to the growing tuberculosis crisis in Kentucky. TB was a lung condition that was considered a death sentence if it was contracted. Doctors didn't understand the condition, how to treat it or how it spread. So facilities like Waverly Hills were built specifically to quarantine TB patients in order to try and stop the spread of the disease. We've spoken about facilities like this before, and highlighted the abuse that occurred. However, it really seems that Waverly operated with the best interests of its patients at heart. It rapidly expanded, with new wings and facilities being added. Eventually it became a fully functioning town that was completely cut off from the outside world. It even adopted its own postcode. But Waverley was not without its flaws. Doctors were struggling to understand tuberculosis and they tried a number of treatments to try and find one that seemed to work. These treatments ranged from the benign, which was plenty of fresh air, plenty of sunshine, positive talk and lamp treatment, to the downright torturous, the surgical removing of the lung, or even removing some of the ribs to allow for the lung to have more room to expand. These treatments, while barbaric, were done out of sheer desperation. In Waverley, experts suggest that around 8,000 people died during their treatment. Eventually, in 1944, an antibiotic was discovered that could successfully treat TB, and the need for Waverly Hill slowly dissipated until eventually it closed its doors in 1961. The facility was reopened in 1962 as Woodhaven Medical Centre which opened to treat people with various stages of dementia and limited mobility as well as people with severe intellectual disabilities. Woodhaven was shut down by the state in 1982 due to serious concerns about understaffing and severe patient neglect. It's hard to know where to start with the hauntings at Waverly Hills but there is one thing I will say. There is so much anecdotal, audio, photographic, and video evidence of the hauntings at Waverley that it is perhaps the one place I would both love and loathe to visit. For the purpose of this episode, I've aimed to outline the most famous hauntings of Waverley and also try to find people's real experiences of them. People often forget that Waverley was not only home to adults, but was home to many children. Parents who had contracted TB often brought their children to Waverly because no one would look after them on the outside world for fear of contracting the illness. These children, many of whom are perfectly healthy, were segregated in the children's pavilion away from the other patients. There was a playground built on the roof where they could play and socialise with other healthy children. Among these children was a little boy named Timmy, who won the heart of a nurse named Mary Hilgart. Mary would visit Timmy every day and would regularly play ball with him and talk to him at length about his parents and his life outside the sanatorium. Like most little boys, Timmy was eternally getting into mischief and would regularly play pranks on Mary and spent his time tearing around the rooftop playground. His life would come to a tragic and abrupt end when he plummeted five stories to his death. There are allegations that he was pushed, and a police investigation ensued but there are also those who believe that he simply fell. Either way, it was a tragedy and it would seem that Timmy never left the halls of Waverley. He is said to remain on the third floor and regularly interacts with visitors in his favourite way by playing ball with them. Legend has it that if you leave a ball on the third floor it will be moved a substantial distance when you return to check on it. There have been reports that if you throw a ball down the third floor corridor, the ball will be thrown back at you. There are also reports that Timmy has a female friend named Mary who runs giggling through the corridors, peeping around doorways and corners, playing hide-and-seek with tourists and ghost hunters. But there are far more sinister hauntings at Waverley, like the stories about room 502. The stories appear to be at least partially fictionalised but are both equally as tragic there are variations of the first story a nurse got pregnant out of wedlock either by an unnamed man the director of the hospital or a prominent doctor an abortion was performed and in some stories it went terribly wrong and the suicide was staged in other stories she tried to perform it herself and was so traumatised that she completed suicide by hanging Another story is that a nurse was thrown or some say pushed from the roof patio and plummeted to her death. Both stories are likely to be untrue, and folklore of the area. However, based on the scant records that are left of Waverley, there are nurses that sadly passed away here after contracting TB. It doesn't matter about the method of death. The nurses that did die here died tragically and painfully, having given up their entire lives to care for people. People who enter room 502 report an intense feeling of nausea and anxiety, and also an overwhelming and sudden feeling of utter despair. There are those who claim to have seen the ghostly spectre of a nurse drifting through the corridors. The operating theatre of the hospital saw some of the most tragic cases of Waverly Hills. People often talk about the torturous surgeries carried out by evil doctors, but the reality is definitely less malicious. The truth is that these surgeries did happen, but they were seen as an absolute last resort. They were only used in cases where all other options had been exhausted. And they had a 5% survival rate. The patients who entered into the operating theatre knew that there was a high chance they would never see the outside world again. In 2011, George Lindsay posted an article on louisville.com about his experience in the operating theatre. Twice he had been in this theatre and the door violently slammed shut, locking him inside. He stated that no matter how hard he tried, he could not open the door until a tour guide politely asked for the door to be opened and just like that, he could open the door with ease. On the website American Hauntings, Inc., Troy Taylor has outlined their experience with the notorious doctor that is said to haunt the operating room. He wrote, In order for the reader to understand what I saw, I have to explain that the hallway ahead of us continued straight for a short distance, and then turned sharply to the right. In the early 1900s, most institutions of this type were designed in this manner. It was what was dubbed the Batwing Design, which meant that there was a main centre in each building, and then the wings extended right and left, then angled again, so that they ran slightly backward, like a bat or a bird, like wings. Directly at the angle ahead of us was a doorway that led into a treatment room. I only noticed the doorway in the darkness because the dim light from the windows beyond had caused it to glow slightly. This made it impossible to miss, since it was straight ahead of us. We took a few more steps, and then, without warning, the clear and distinct silhouette of a man Crossed the lighted doorway, passed into the hall, and then vanished into a room on the other side of the corridor. I got a distinct look at the figure, and I know that it was a man and that he was wearing what appeared to be a long white drape that could have been a doctor's coat. The sighting only lasted a few seconds, but I knew what I had seen. And for some reason, it shocked me and startled me so badly that I let out a yell and grabbed a hold of my friend's jacket. I'm not sure why it affected me in that way, but perhaps it was the setting, the figure's sudden appearance, my own anxiety, or likely all of these things. Regardless, after my yell, I demanded that he turn on a light and help me to examine the room the man had vanished into. After my initial fright, I became convinced that someone else was on the floor with us. My friend assured me that we were the only ones there, but he did help me search for the intruder in an empty room with only one way in and one way out and there was no one there. Whoever that figure had been, he had utterly and completely vanished. I doubt that I was the first person to see this mysterious apparition on the fourth floor and it's unlikely that I will be the last. However, this sighting put Waverly Hills into a unique category for me in that I will firmly state that I believe it's haunted. It's haunted. Usually for me to do that, I must have my own unexplainable experience that goes beyond a mere bump in the night or a spooky photograph. In this case, I had actually seen a ghost, and at the time I could count the ghost sightings that I had had on two fingers. Waverly Hills is haunted, and for me, seeing was believing.' One of the most notorious physical aspects of Waverly Hills is, of course, the body chute. The body chute is a tunnel that was initially used to cart supplies up and down the hill to the hospital to avoid for unnecessary human contact. There are allegations that later in the history of the hospital it was used to transport bodies out of the hospital to avoid patients seeing the bodies being removed so regularly. The chute is said to be a hot spot for people hearing footsteps running towards them, And capturing EVPs. Rick Hinton was exploring the tunnel with some friends when he decided to shine a flashlight beam down the chute to see if it would illuminate the other end. But what it illuminated was something far more sinister. The beam didn't reach the end, and they marveled at how long the tunnel was until something or someone stepped into the torchlight. It wasn't a fleeting glance. Something moved directly into the beam and began to walk towards the group, slowly advancing on them up the tunnel. They watched in horror as this thing advanced, and then suddenly it disappeared, and the torchlight shone down the tunnel again. There are even reports of a woman shackled in chains and bleeding from her wrists, screaming for help before turning to run down a corridor and disappearing. Although horrific, when Waverly Hills close, who knows the true extent of what happened at New Haven Medical Centre before it was shut down. It makes sense that the sanatorium would be a place of residual energy. Many people died in great pain and suffering. Nurses and doctors gave up their lives to live and work there. People entered, understanding that there was a limited chance that they would ever see the outside world again. And barbaric procedures were carried out in the desperate hope that lives would be saved. But there is one more interesting facet of the Waverly Hills haunting that needs to be discussed. And that is the presence of an entity that is neither human nor residual. The Creeper. It is believed that the Creeper resides on the fourth floor and has a particular hatred for people who visit the sanatorium. It does not take the shape of a man or a human but crawls quickly on all fours up the walls and along the ceiling, seemingly chasing visitors with a desire to fill them full of fear. It is not unusual for guests to visit the fourth floor and be confronted by the creeper crawling up the walls towards them on all fours, silent and dark. And it's not just the creeper. It seems that Waverly Hills is home to a whole army of shadow people. A contributor called Joey Sent in a story to the website True Ghost Tales in 2007, where he outlined the extent of the shadow people activity in Waverley. My friends and I went out on the roof and just hung out, thinking about the stories we had heard about the place, and we began to see figures moving around in the dark inside the area of the fifth floor, where the patients were bedded outside for air. There were shadows everywhere. We began to see the perfect formations of shadows of people that were not there. My friend Chris lost his cool and wanted to bolt out of the place by jumping from the fifth floor roof. I said, Are you nuts? We've got to go back the way we came. So after building up the courage to face whatever it was in the halls and rooms on the fifth floor and exit, we had to enter it. We couldn't run due to the darkness and the mess of the place so we held tight on our arms and entered the hall area. I wanted to shut my eyes, but I had to see where I was going. Mostly I saw the shadows surrounding us, banging that seemed to come from everywhere, the ceiling, the floor and the walls. As we entered the stairwell we somehow ended up on the floor below us, and not the ground floor. When we entered the fourth floor our eyes were more adjusted. The moonlight reflected through the building and we had a pretty good sight of the hall up to the point where the hall bent in a slight angle. It had rained the night before, and due to the shape of the building and no windows left to block it out, the rain had entered the building at will. On the floor were puddles of water, and we began to see bare footprints appearing out of the puddles as if someone had just walked through the puddle barefooted and left tracks through the corridor. The shadows were still surrounding us in the halls. The doors to the patient rooms began to slam shut. Chris who acted as the toughest guy in the group began to cry I tried to calm him down something crashed the wall near where we stood when I looked to the floor it was a brick something had just hurled a brick at us hitting the wall Chris then began to run down the hall and we gave chase at some point between Chris and us behind Chris and in front of us two bright balls of light shot from one room across the hall and into the adjacent room We ran past the area where the light travelled to get to Chris, who stopped at the end of the hall not knowing where to go. We calmed him a little, and it was as if someone just shut it all off like a light switch. There were no more shadows, no banging, no flashing lights. We made our way out of the building and down the hill to the nearby apartment complex where my sister and her boyfriend were waiting inside their car. They laughed at our stories. We talked about it for several days and began to forget, but I never forgot. Years later, I joined a local paranormal research group whom had major interests in investigating Waverly Hills. After hearing all of the stories, things began to fall into place and I found it within myself to return to Waverly Hills after 10 years. It's now being restored, slowly but surely, possibly into a bed and breakfast. Tours are given there now. And have been for the last five or six years. They have a yearly haunted house on Halloween. And half night and all night stays. For a fee of course. All proceeds have gone to fixing the place up. That is my story of Waverly Hills. And it is just one of very many. And we do have one more experience of the shadow people of Waverly. And it was sent in to us by a listener named Jean. I was 14 at the time. And my mom and sister and I were visiting family because we moved to Florida when I was six. My mom left my father when I was ten so going home to Indiana always felt like such an accomplishment because it was just my single mom taking care of my sister and I and being able to afford a trip home was a big deal. While we were there a few of my older cousins mentioned they had tickets to do a ghost tour at Waverly Hills and they had one extra ticket. I've always been interested in the paranormal. I find it fascinating and terrifying. So me being an obnoxious 14-year-old, of course I had to go. My cousins were all about 26. I think out of the whole group we toured with, I was the youngest one. When you pull up to Waverly, you don't think it's going to be as massive as it is. It's absolutely gigantic and so stunning. All brick exterior and you can feel the energy just from looking at it. The night sky and all those trees for miles surrounding this beautiful historic hospital is the proper image of a good horror film. Before you go on your tour, they have you watch an episode from the show Ghost Hunters to properly set the mood. We were in a pretty large group of maybe 20. They showed us the body shoot first. Absolutely terrifying and I only walked about 10 steps in because it felt so disorientating to walk down something that steep with only a flashlight. Moving on further, we entered the building, saw various rooms, and learned some history as we went. Huge graffiti art filled a hallway that would definitely freak you out. I don't remember what floor we were on, but it was the floor where they performed surgeries on the patients. On this floor is where my experience began. They tell you that you have the opportunity to see shadow people if you want to. So they tell those who don't want to see anything too real to stand back and those who do to stay facing down the hallway. They pick a person to walk about 30 feet down this dark black hallway, with about eight rooms on each side. They told a man who volunteered to walk down that hallway, stand in the light of the window, and for him to stick both arms completely out, so that his fingertips are even with his shoulder line. The rest of us were told to focus on this man's chest. I was focusing intently on this man, and after about a minute... I notice a figure step out from behind him. And just as fast I start to see heads poking out of doorways, legs and then full shadow bodies darting across the hall into other rooms. It was so insane to see. I kept telling myself it was just my eyes messing with me. My love for paranormal stories goes hand in hand with my scepticism, I suppose. It went on for about five minutes. And after it was over and they told the man to rejoin us, They made us walk down this hallway to continue the tour. As I walked, I saw a man in one of the rooms. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, but well enough to know that he was a large man, well over six foot and around 250 pounds. Again, I told myself I hadn't seen anything and just kept going, literally like nothing had happened. I entered this small room where they did the surgeries. We were all using flashlights because it was appropriately a nighttime tour. But when we entered this room we were asked to keep our flashlights off. I saw this large man again. He was very tall, big build. I end up standing next to him to where I'm in front of him but also next to his right side. I stood there knowing that I was this close to another person and I didn't want to accidentally bump off him. The tour guide proceeded to turn the lights on in that room and there was no man standing beside me. Again, I tell myself that it wasn't real and to just stay silent about it. The tour continued and everyone left the room and my cousin April came running up to me. She and her husband were standing on the other side of the room. Her husband told April that he swore there was a man behind me and when the lights came on, the man was gone. I couldn't believe it. It was the validation I apparently needed because I then allowed myself to believe that I did see that same man in the hallway and he did follow me to that room. I've wanted to go back ever since and I absolutely will someday. Please learn all you can about this place. It's remarkable. It was basically a place tucked far away from other towns for the sick to die.
2: I need to get something off my chest to begin with. Okay. Okay. I feel that if you're calling, like if you're making a place for people that are ill to convalesce, maybe don't call it sanatorium because it sounds really sinister and awful. I'd it's much prefer the health centre. Yeah.
1: It's a horrible word, isn't it? It's such a terrible word.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'd much prefer what it was renamed to. It sounds New almost Haven friendly. New
1: Haven Medical Centre, even yeah. apparently that... Well, there's two... I mean, the research for this was so fascinating and I'll leave the links to everything in the description of this episode. Like, if you're interested in Waverly Hills, like, I was watching lectures about it. Wow. It's just the history of tuberculosis, how they treated it. Yeah. Waverly Hills was like this pioneering hospital and what came afterwards is genuinely really interesting, even all ghosts aside. But the New Haven Medical Center was shut down by the government. But there were questions as to whether or not the information about it being badly staffed and the patients not being cared for, whether or not that was conflated because there was some sort of capital interest right. in the building. So there's just that's just as an aside.
2: Okay, I also feel that the body shoot is probably the most terrifying place on the whole map. However, if they were using it to transport bodies so that the patients couldn't see... I don't actually think that's necessarily a bad thing.
1: No, I don't think so at all. And I think if you're going into a TB hospital, I think they used to say that you had a 50% chance of survival. Yeah. And the, the, the current owners, I can't remember their names, Chattingly, I think their names are, uh, they are the ones who bought it and decided to do ghost tours and stuff. They do grossly exaggerate a lot of stuff. So they say there's like 60,000 people died and the numbers don't make sense. So it is about 8,000 people died. Mm. Um, But apparently they are incredibly respectful in there so they do like historical tours too and they have dedicated a lot of money to renovations and i watched a lecture with a a lady who has a phd in like medicine like tuberculosis, ancient medicine or whatever um and she she went on the historical tour and she was like i didn't do the ghost side of things it's not my bag but i was really impressed with how they treated the building and the, the information that I got on the historical tour. So I give them props for that side of things. And I also understand the need to drum up a bit of interest in the place too.
2: I'd imagine the historical tours probably don't pay for like a 190th of the of the repairs, whereas the ghost tours probably probably cover it very well, I would say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm terrified of that place. I think I'd be interested in doing a historical tour. So I could get a feel for what it feels like inside during the day and then maybe consider doing the ghost thing after doing that. I wouldn't just go straight in for the ghost tour. No way.
1: I think the historical tour would be fascinating anyway. Yeah. Regardless of whether you went on to do the ghost tour. What I found really interesting when I was doing this research is the that I tried to find real experiences that happened before it was yeah a really famous um haunted hotspot, as in like they had all the tours and stuff but all of the the most of the experience that i read happened in the same area of the hospital they all describe the corridor with the window at the end where the moonlight shines through yeah. where the surgeries happened which is really interesting yeah that is
2: i didn't like that the uh the guy getting shut in was quite creepy wasn't it and not being able to open it and then the tour guide just going and open the door
1: yeah, and that apparently that happened to him twice, like Ooh. twice while he was there. And he described himself as being a big burly man. Yeah, he shouldn't have had an issue opening the door, and he just, no matter what he did, he could not get that door opened.
2: Mm. There's also likelihood of a lo- lot of children, child ghosts running around as well, because there were be children there, which I don't like the thought of. And I just want to say, I think if you've got a really tall building, putting a playground on the roof is not. A good idea. <laughs> it
1: just seems wild, doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> I'm
2: sure it's done with all the best will in the world, but you know, modern safety guidelines would suggest that's not the best thing in the world. No. Unless you build a zip line going down to the to the ground, because in that case I'm on board.
1: <laughs> in that case, fine. <laughs> all health and safety is aside <laughs> yeah. if there's a zip wire involved.
2: <laughs> yeah, I uh, and the creeper is one another one that really gives me the shudders.
1: Yeah, one of the so the, I think I said his name in it, George Lindsay, I think his name was. The guy who had who got trapped in the surgery, he said the only time he literally fled the building was the only time he saw the creeper, Mm. and he caught sight of it crawling towards him on the ceiling, and he was out.
2: Yeah, I would have been as well. It's that unnatural thing, isn't it? Like you don't. I I wouldn't. I can't stomach ghosts, but I could stomach them a little bit more than something like that because I kind of understand that in an old place there's going to be history. Like I get that there's history. There's got to be. Some form of residual energy, the chances of bumping into something ghostly is probably higher. I get it, but then when it's doing things that it wouldn't be doing in life, like crawling across the ceiling yeah that's <laughs> oh, that's frightening yeah i'm not i 'm not really uh
1: that's a totally different world than seeing the energy of a doctor passing by or yeah whatever like fuck that fuck off creeper like
2: I get like ghosts walk through doors and stuff so they obviously don't have the the sort of physical restraints that we do so that they wouldn't be doing that in life
1: but crawling across the ceiling and up the walls and people who just who see it describe it as being more animalistic than human that's I mean that is dark shit
2: yeah it is yeah I don't like it I just I just wonder if things I just wonder about energies and like how they must cluster together in certain places. And and then, you know, if you believe in energies and spirit forms, what that could in turn conjure. Do you know what I mean?
1: Imagine how scary all of those people in that hospital at yeah. that time. Like, imagine how frightened they would have been. Yeah. And like, like, that level of emotion all the time. You know you're either going to miraculously be healed of TB or you're going to leave down that body chute, as rumours would have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like people who get TB, like it wasn't an instantaneous thing. It was a fucking long illness. Yeah. So it was not, you know, there must've been, there must've been such heightened emotion in that place. So I, yeah, I totally understand what you mean. Like if energies are going to gather together, they're going to gather in a place of heightened emotion.
2: And even though, like you said, Waverly Hills was advanced and by all accounts, actually quite um, holistic in the way that it cared for people and like quite positive and trying to do things the right way you still know why you're going in there and you still know what your chances are not at a point where it's the medical chances are higher than than the the disease at that point are you so
1: no and you're also hearing these awful stories of people going into surgery and never coming out yeah you know and that must have been so petrifying to be in that situation and you know suddenly your your roommate isn't there anymore and somebody else gets shipped in like it Mm -hmm. must be so scary
2: and they're all there for the same thing as well which probably makes it even harder because you, I guess, if you're in like a regular hospital, people are there for different things. So it's a, it's a, a distraction, but also you can't look at necessarily look at the person in the bed next to you, and whatever happens to them is going to happen to you because they they've been treated for something else. Whereas if everybody's being treated for TV and something happens to the person next to you, the chances are something like that is going to happen to you as well. Yeah, which just increases the fear. So yeah, the energy there must have been crazy. It must still be crazy. And I also partly wonder what what is churned up by people going there looking for things as well. Yeah. You know, the whole Tolpa conversation again.
1: Yeah, and there are... <laughs>
2: I'm not saying the creeper is one, but it's...
1: But, it like, there are people who go there knowing the story of Timmy and really desperately wanting to see him or knowing the story of, like, uh, the, the nurse, the nurse, which wasn't actually true, the nurse who allegedly hanged herself. Like, that's... There's no factual evidence for that. But they desperately want to see mm. that thing. So... You know, and there's going to be tens of people every day going to the same place, desperate to see the same thing. Now,
2: hopefully, there's not people going there desperate to see the creeper because that would not yeah. be good. I, I wouldn't be one of those. I think I'd be willing to. I've. I, I think I would be willing to go there in a day purely for the historical aspect of it, which I think I would enjoy. And I. I, I always think when I see it on TV shows that it's such just the magnitude of the place is just hard to understand because it's like you said in your reading, it was. It's like a self-contained town.
1: Yeah. The other really interesting thing is that there's no way of verifying any of these stories. Because a huge chunk of the records of Waverly Hills were lost in a flood. They used to keep the records downtown. I don't know what what town that was down in. Mm. And there was a huge flood in the 1930s that wiped out all the records. And then when the hospital was closed in the 1960s, they just destroyed the records. Because they were never going to open the hospital again. Yeah. They knew that TB was being wiped out so they didn't see the point in keeping them.
2: That's Yeah, that's that's the thing that you have to bear in mind as well, I guess. Like it, it's always greeted with a bit of shade when people go, "Oh, the records were destroyed in a fire or the flood." But actually, that's the reality of having paper records in yeah. in an era that didn't have particularly high rates of fire safety. <laughs> uh, there's yeah, there's that,
1: and the fact that TB was so prevalent was because of the wetlands in yeah. the area. And the wetlands flooded. Like, that's that's what happened. Mm. And that that information came from a lecture that I watched. It wasn't, like, some sort of, you know, shady...
2: Tiny Bims didn't tell you.
1: It, Bimmy didn't tell me. And it wasn't some sort of shady website where they're trying to prove <laughs> the existence of ghosts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is that is the genuine fact of it. And a lot of information that people have about Waverly now comes from newspaper articles at the time mm. where they just try to find, okay, well, if there really was a nurse who jumped from to her death from the roof, then there would be some sort of record of it, Mm. but there isn't. So I think a lot of the stories of Waverley are the product of folklore, you know, of local legend. However, I think people's experiences are probably very real.
2: hundred percent. And I also think that that place is definitely haunted. Like I have no doubt that those hauntings are real. I think the stories, I think part of our human nature is we attach things, we attach stories to things to make them, to legitimize them within ourself and we probably do that subconsciously so having stories like that helps us justify what we're experiencing but actually in reality the things we're experiencing are their own thing
1: yeah and probably not entirely justifiable did that even make sense it did make sense <laughs> <Okay>. yeah <laughs> they're an they're they're a world of their own right rather yeah. than it being the product of our stories yeah and i
2: i'd imagine there's probably some there probably is some you know shady stuff that was was lost To records going on and the negative energy that you feel is probably a result of those things, but we can't find evidence to support the things that we're currently attaching them to, so we probably have to disregard it.
1: No, and I think it would be impossible to believe that in a sanatorium that big. So I think they at any one time they had six hundred patients in a sanatorium that big, where you have huge volumes of staff and huge volumes of patients. You can't assume that everybody was lovely all the time either. You can't assume that all the staff were going to be lovely. There's always going to be bad eggs. And bad days. And bad days. That's also true. Um, but yeah, that's Waverly Hills. Mm. One of them, one, I, ve- I really loved researching this and I highly recommend that if you are interested in the history of places like sanatoriums or even like I'm morbidly interested in disease and pathology and, <laughs> you know, the, the outbreak of disease, there are loads of links in the description of this episode that should be very interesting to you.
2: I do think that when we're allowed to go places, this is a place we will end up going. So I'd imagine at some point you will see a video of me bricking myself. Yeah.
1: I'd also like to say a massive thank you to Jean. Yes, thank you. Jean sent us like a double story, like two stories, and one half of them was about Waverly Hills. And I just decided recently, so when we did Borley Rectory, I was like, I wonder if anybody emailed us about Borley Rectory. So I did a search for it and people had, but not with experiences. And when I searched for Waverly, Got a nice little experience at Waverly to add to the story. So thank you, Jean. It's probably not where you expected half of your story to be, but here it is.
2: And I also want to say full credit to you, Jean, because you went through that experience and you want to go back.
1: And you also, as a 14-year-old, were just like, I'm going to pretend none of that is happening. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's very brave. That's
1: very brave. I would have been
2: rocking in the corner. We're looking for the gasoline.
1: And if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find out everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send in your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do so, patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week.
0: Bye. Selling a little?